All right, let's read John chapter 15, verses, I'm going to read verses 5 to 7. As you know, if you were here last week, and if, perhaps if you, if you weren't here, let me introduce this to you. We're doing three weeks through the gospel of, uh, well, of John chapter 15 in particular, and the words that Jesus says about him being the true vine. Uh, we began last week with an, uh, a look at what he's getting at in verses 1 to uh, Eight. Now we're going to zoom in on verses 5 to 7. <clears throat> Thank you, John. Chapter 15. The words of Jesus. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Let me pray, and then we'll jump in. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, and we thank you for the truths of what Jesus says to us here. Thank you that even though he spoke these words some 2,000 years ago, they are immediately relevant to us here this morning on the 19th of January, 2020. We pray that we would hear the voice of Jesus speaking to us, and that through what he says and what your spirit does in our hearts and minds. We would abide in you. And you would abide in us. And we would be people and a church that bear much fruit for the glory of the Father. Amen. Amen. So, an oxymoron is a figure of speech, you probably know this already, but it's a figure of speech made up of two or more words that appear or are contradictory or opposite to each other. So, for instance, we might say, oh, it was an open secret that so-and-so was having a baby. When I tell a joke, someone might say, that's seriously funny, or not. We talk about having, it was our only choice. They're an unpopular celebrity. We've got to act natural. There's a deafening silence. Or my favorite one, he was an honest crook. So oxymorons are these, are these words, these figures of speech that go together, two words that go together, but they are contradictory. And in John chapter 15, Jesus provides us with his own oxymoron where he says, there can be no fruitless disciples. In verse 5, he uh, revisits uh, the image that he began in verse 1, where he speaks about uh, he is the true vine, and his disciples, his people, are the branches. And what he says to us in this imagery of the, bri uh, of the, of the vine and the branches is both profound and compelling, because it speaks, as we looked at last week, of the closeness of union that Jesus has with his people. That he's the vine, we're the branches, and his very life runs through us. 
But there's also a simple and starkness to his, uh, a simple starkness to his teaching, where he reminds us that there's two types of branches. One type of branch which is fruitful because it abides in the vine. And one type of branch that is fruitless and is cut away and thrown away and burned in fire because there's no such thing as a fruitless disciple. It's an oxymoron. In John 15, Jesus is inviting us to greater and deeper spiritual intimacy with him so that we can have his power to live the Christian life and so that we can be fruitful people. He says in verse 5, doesn't he? For apart from me, you can do nothing. (coughs) Or nothing, as the correct pronunciation is. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. You can't try harder to be a disciple. You can't muster up fruitfulness from within yourself or from created things that we look to. Jesus here reminds us that all of our hope and our life and our joy is bound up in him and our being connected and abiding in him. So for you, for me, this year, All of our fruitfulness, everything that we might want for the year ahead in terms of our spiritual lives as branches is bound up in our abiding to the true vine. For it is only in him, he's the only source of power and life that can make a difference in our lives. But the good news is, and the promise here that's inherent and implied in John 15 in the imagery is this, if we abide in him, we will produce fruit. It's not like we abide and then we kind of wonder. No, Jesus tells us here, if you abide in me, you will bear fruit. There will be change. There will be growth. There will be fruitfulness. So the question then is, isn't it, how do we abide? (coughs) How do we abide? Now, last week we looked at verses 4 to 6 in a, in a sort of a, a more general way where Jesus says that to abide in him is to stay and to dwell and to remain close to him and connected to him. So part of abiding is to know Jesus, to walk with Jesus, to commune with Jesus, to treasure Jesus, to rely on him and to trust him. Realizing that he is the only place where we can go to find true contentment and safety and comfort and hope and peace and joy and life. But in verse 7, he then moves from abiding in general terms to being more specific. Because as we said last week, so often we can think of about abiding as being some kind of mystical, indefinable experience. And there's, a, there's an element to which that is true, isn't it? Because Jesus comes by his spirit to dwell within us. And that is a sort of a, a mysterious thing. But in verse 7 and 8, he makes it clear that abiding actually involves something concrete as well. Something very concrete. To try and help us grapple with this, look with me at verses 5, and then let's look at verse 7 together, because Jesus does something here with the language that he uses that gives us a window into what he's getting at. 
So in verse 5, he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So he says, bearing fruit, being a fruitful disciple, abiding in me and I abide in you. It's a, it's a pair that go together. Abide in me, I abide in you equals fruitful disciple. But then in verse 7, he changes it up and switches up the language a bit and says this, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you'll be a fruitful disciple. And in changing the language from the pair that goes together to, to uh, abide in me and my words abide in you, he's giving us a window of very practically how we let him abide in us. So how does Jesus abide in us? And how do we abide in him? Well, namely, by letting his word abide in us. And that's what we're going to explore this morning with two questions. What does it mean for Jesus' word to abide in us? And how do we do it? How do we let his word abide in us? So let's begin with that first question. What does it mean for Jesus' words to abide in us? Well, to abide in Jesus is to abide in the words that he has spoken to us. Every time that Jesus opened his mouth, when he talked to people, when he walked on this planet and he spoke, we hear the very words of God. So in John chapter 3, uh, the same author that wrote John chapter 15, in John chapter 3 verse 34, we hear John tell us that for he, Jesus, whom God sent, utters the very words of God. That was, what it was con- that was what they were considered to be. When Jesus spoke, they were the very words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. So to abide in Jesus and have his words abide in us is to hear and listen to and take in the very words of God. When he, spoke, when he speaks his gospel promises, when he speaks his gospel truth, when he teaches us about who he is and what he's like and what the Father is like, when he makes promises to us, when he issues commands to us, when he gives instructions to us, all that Jesus says that might be contained in your Bible in the red letter sections, they're the words of Jesus. And if we want to abide in him, those words need to abide in us. But it goes wider than just the red letter sections of our Bible, doesn't it? Because Paul reminds Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16 that all Scripture is breathed out by God. So not only the words of Jesus, uh, not only does he utter and breathe out the words of God, all the Scriptures from Genesis to Revelation are breathed out by God. Meaning that if we want to welcome Jesus into our lives, if we want to abide in him, we need to make room for his words in our life. All of the scriptures. That Jesus is to come to us as the living word and take up residence by his Holy Spirit in our hearts. Not as a silent guest, but as someone who brings opinions and commands. Who speaks to us. He doesn't come as a silent guest. He comes as an authoritative king. He comes as one whose opinions now, as for the Christian, should matter to us more than anybody else's opinions. That his commands to us are the very law of our lives. 
So what it means to have Jesus abiding in us and his word abiding in us is, is more than just uh, simple comprehension of a few Bible verses. Think about this in, um, in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew's recount of Jesus being sent into the wilderness after his baptism and the, and the devil coming to tempt him. What does the devil do to Jesus? He quotes scripture at him. Doesn't the word say, do this and this will happen? Come on, do this and this will happen. So it's abiding in Christ and having his word abide in us must be more than just knowing a few Bible verses because even the devil knows a few Bible verses. And surely we would never say that he abides in Christ. So it's more than just comprehension of knowing and regurgitating a few Bible verses or being able to turn to the right page in a book. In John chapter 5, verses 37 to 40, when Jesus responds to some Jewish religious leaders who were opposing him and seeking to kill him, he said this to them. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. He's written about me in the scriptures is the context. His voice you have never heard. And his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. Oh, you can search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Verse 38 highlights the issue for us. The words of Scripture did not abide in them. They could search the Scriptures. They could know the Scriptures. But the Scriptures didn't produce fruit of faith and belief in God or in the saving Son that He sent. So it's more than just kind of a, a knowledge of the Scriptures. Having Jesus' word abide in us means that they, they find a home in us. They find a place in us. That they're not foreign to us. So again, in John chapter 8, verses 31 to 37, <coughs> Jesus said to the Jews who had started to kind of lean in a little bit and believe in him, he says this, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth and the truth will then set you free. But these Jews answered him, we're the offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you can say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever, the, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abraham, yet... You seek to kill me because my words find no place in you. So to have the words of Jesus abiding in us is to have his truth abiding in us. To have his views on the world abide in us. To have his priorities abide in us. To have his principles abide in us. To have his promises abide in us. And to have his commandments abide in us. So that we might have faith in him and believe on the Father who sent him. And if we do that, we have freedom. We have eternal life. We abide in the vine and his very life runs in our veins. So if we are to... 
have his words abide in us, it's to receive them and to believe them as living words. As Jesus says himself in in John 6 verse 63, he says, The words that I have spoken to you, they are the spirit and life. They don't come in abstract, hypothetical, theoretical sentences. The words of Jesus come from the heart and the lips of the one who died and rose again to save us from our sins and whom we love as Christians more than anybody else in the world. So having him abide in us and his word abiding in us is agreeing with what Peter says in John 6, 68. Where else can we go, Lord? You have the, key, the words of eternal life. And we have believed and we've come to know. We've put our faith in you. We know not just with our heads, but our hearts know that you are the Holy One of God. So we might restate verse 7 like this. Here's my translation. This is what Jesus would say to us this morning. If my words are received and remembered and pondered upon and treasured and believed and obeyed as the living words of the only living and present Savior and God and King in your life, then you'll bear fruit. Consider Psalm chapter 1, which gives us a wonderful illustration of what Jesus gets at in verse 5 and 7. Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. Blessed is the man or woman who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. This one, this blessed man who meditates on the law of the Lord, the word of God. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. And its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So as his word abides in us, the sap, the very life of the vine, comes to us as the branches and it fills us and it shapes us. Sometimes it prunes us, but it's so that we might bear fruit. Now, how does that happen? Okay, hopefully I've convinced you that that's what we need to do. We need to receive and remember and ponder and treasure and believe and obey the words of Jesus, the living words. But how do we do that? Well, that's our second question. How do we have, how do we allow the words of Jesus to abide in us? Because if we believe that the Bible, which we do, is not just a, re- a book of mere religious instruction but, or, or theological data that's just kind of we're supposed to feed into our minds, if we thinking that it's more than that, how do we we take it in? How do we abide in it? How does it shape us? Well, the first thing to say is this, that the very words of Jesus, this book that we hold in our hands, is not just religious instruction. It's not just a manual for life. It's not just theological data. In the pages of this book, God reveals himself to us. What you read here is like his autobiography, if you like. 
the invisible God, holy and set apart, that we sang about in the very first song this morning. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who dwells in an unapproachable light, has set apart, who is set apart, sorry, from sinners. He crosses over the great divide to us through his word to make himself known to us. He gives himself to us. In his word, he comes down from heaven and he makes himself visible in the pages of scripture. And the Bible primarily is a book of relationship. It's a book through which God wants to make himself known to us. It's a book through which we encounter him. We meet him in the very pages of scripture. We meet him, we encounter him, we hear his voice speaking to us and we fellowship with him as we receive his word in our hearts, and his encouragement and instruction and comfort comes to us as the Spirit takes it and massages it down into our hearts. So it's a relational book. It's for fellowship. It's so that we might know him better, so that our connection to the vine might be stronger, so that our lives might be more fruitful. So how do we let his word abide? Four very non-exhaustive suggestions Here's here's four suggestions for how we can have the words of Jesus abide in us so that we might cultivate and strengthen our connection to the vine. Here we go. First suggestion, read it. All right? It's not rocket science. Read it. It is difficult to live by the words of Jesus if you don't know what the words of Jesus are. And my fear is that many of us, let me, let me be honest here, right? My fear is that many of us spend zero to ten minutes in the scriptures every now and again. And yet four to six hours in front of a screen every day. And we wonder why we're not bearing fruit. And I say that to myself as much as I say it to you. I fear that we spend very little time... It, daily time in God's word, and then we look at ourselves and we go, I don't know why I'm not bearing any fruit. The Bible is powerful. Hebrews 4 says it's living and active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. It is powerful. Isaiah 55 says, as we looked at when we went through the book of Isaiah, God's word goes out from him and it does not return to him void. It accomplishes all that he intends. It's a powerful book. It gets things done. But purely holding it, carrying it around, having it on your shelf, it can be very near to us. This book is very near to me. But if I don't read it, If I don't invest my time in it, it will never abide in me. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't just somehow, you know, drift into me and into my heart if I just hold it close. It needs to be read. It will never be effective in changing our lives and producing fruit if we will not read it. Now listen, it would be very easy to guilt trip us all into reading the Bible more. And maybe you feel a bit guilty now. I'm going to say that's the conviction of the Spirit rather than guilt. But if we want to grow, we've got to read it. You know, we make time for that which is most important to us. So if we really think that God's Word is important, we'll make time for it. One of the things I love about John Piper is, I, I, I'm going to paraphrase this very badly because it, 
it came to me this morning while I was going over my notes. I didn't bother to look it up. Uh, but he says something like, you know, at the, on the last day, we'll know from social media that godliness didn't occur in our lives. It, it wasn't because we didn't have any time to give to it. You know, we give time to, the, to stuff. We look at our phones. We watch the TV. We binge watch Netflix. I do that. But here, if we want to abide in Christ, his word's got to abide in us. So we've got to read it, spend time with God daily in his word. Let me give you a few suggestions. Plan a place, plan a time, and plan what you're going to read ahead of time. Put it on your calendar, make it an appointment. Just like you would say, I've got to go to the doctors. And it goes on your calendar, put Jesus in your diary. Plan what you will read because we don't just drift into, into fruitful spiritual life. It requires a self-conscious setting aside of, of time to read. Get out a Bible plan. Or just read Hebrews for Rabbi T this month. But read something, please. And if you've got no desire to read, then the words of Jesus in John 15 should be just a warning shot across our bows. Maybe there's no connection to the vine. And you need to get connected. Can I just say this as well? Uh, maybe you've heard the phrase going around, you know, and maybe this is in particularly in connection with reading our Bibles and people miss their Bible time. And, you know, that happens from time, from time to time, doesn't it? We miss, you know, there's the pressures of work. We got an early train. You know, the kids are sick. I understand that. I totally get that. That happens in our house as well. And there are many days where we miss what we should be doing you know, as a priority, or we have to pick it up at some other time. But there's this kind of idea going around that oh, I just need to give myself, I'm just giving myself a bit of grace. Have you heard that statement? I'm just going to give myself a bit of grace. Oh, I didn't read my Bible, but it's okay because I'm giving myself grace. No, no, no. This is the place you go for grace. There's no grace apart from this. You can't give yourself grace. You go and you get grace from the Word. If you don't read it, that's okay. Some of We miss meals. You know, sometimes we run out the door without having breakfast. Fine, we miss a meal. Sometimes we run out the door without reading our Bibles. We miss a meal. But then what happens when we're hungry? We go to the snack cupboard or we go to the shop and we buy a Mars bar or a piece of fruit or something and we eat then. If you miss it in the morning, find some other time to do it. But if you don't eat, you'll starve and you'll bear no fruit. So let me encourage you. The first thing, read it. Read it. Second suggestion if the first one was read, the second one is feed. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, Jesus confronts the devil's temptations by saying to him, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus means by that statement that he sees the scriptures as food for his very soul. It's the very spiritual nourishment that he needs in his inner person, even though he's God in the flesh. So feed on his word. What I mean by feed is this. Find ways in which what you read lingers and lasts in your head and in your heart. 
Don't just move the bookmark on and tick the date on your Bible reading plan, tempting as that is. Find some way to feed on it and what you've read, whether that be a post-it note that you stick in your house or something that you write in a diary or in a journal, whether that's Bible memorization or whether that's meditation. If you go back to Psalm chapter 1, where the psalmist says, Blessed is the man who meditates on the law of God. Day and night he meditates on it. That word meditates is used in Isaiah 31 to speak of a lion who's standing triumphantly over his prey, chewing it. Same word. So that in Psalm 1, we might read this. Blessed is the man who's chewing over the word, who's standing like a lion, devouring it, eating it up, roaring over it. There you go. You won't forget that illustration, will you? Be like a lion. That's what meditating means. Get stuck into it. Get it all over your face. As you get your nose in it, chew it over, digest it, and roar over it in joy and do it day and night. Constantly, consistently, as much as you can. Hear it, read it, study it, recall it, apply it, obey it, outwork it, do it. That might be reading it in the pages, listening to it on an app. You know, if you, if you really are struggling with time in the morning, get some headphones and listen to it on your commute if you can. Do whatever it takes so that the words of God penetrate our messy lives. And feed on it so that it makes a visible difference in our day. Charles Spurgeon says this, one bit of Bible prayed over and bedewed with the Spirit and made alive. Though it only be a short sentence of six words, it'll profit you more than a hundred chapters without the Spirit. Love that. Love that. One bit of Bible prayed over, bedewed with the Spirit and made alive. Though it only be a short sentence of six words, It'll profit you more than a hundred chapters without the Spirit. We live in a microwave world where we just want to, we want things instantly. And yet, John 15 and Psalm 1 remind us that proper, true, biblical spirituality, there's no shortcuts to it. There's no bypassing the system. You just got to sow, and what you sow, you will reap. Gradual growth, little by little, step by step, one degree of glory to another into the likeness of Jesus. But in John 15 and in Psalm 1, the promise is diligent, faithful reading and feeding on the Scriptures will produce a harvest. So read it, feed it, third suggestion, sing it. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So sing the word, sing the word like the psalmist did, like the early believers did, sing it. Find songs that are full of truth and play them and sing them and learn them and memorize the words and make sure that you're listening to great Music that gets the scriptures in your head. Or if you're a, you know, a bit of a musician, or even if you're not, turn the, the verses that you're reading in, the, in your devotions and in your time in the Word into your own songs. Make them up. 
And if they're good enough, we will sing them. We will. JD and Angie and Tom will write the music for you. And we'll sing them if they're good. But let's turn the scriptures into song. And so we can be thankful and we can express our praise and our gratitude to God for all that he's done. And let me tell you this as well. Singing and songs will help you memorize scripture more than anything else. So get out your Apple iTunes or Spotify or whatever you use and and look up Slugs and Bugs. And the scripture memory songs that they produce or awesome cutlery or seeds. These are people who are spending their time writing scripture to music so we can memorize it, so that we can sing it, so that we can obey the words in in Colossians 3.16. And we can let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. That's Paul's way of saying what Jesus says in John 15. Let his word abide in us. So read, feed, sing, and then fourthly and finally, speak it. Speak it. If you're in the church meeting on Wednesday night, we looked at Ephesians 4 together. And at the end of chapter 4, Paul writes this in verses 15 and 16. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in Love. How does the body grow? How do we bear fruit? We speak the truth in love to one another. Now, don't misunderstand me. That's been hijacked so often for an excuse to speak cruel honesty to someone. Nathan, you are a fat baldy. I'm just speaking the truth in love so you will, you know, go and have a hair transplant and go on a diet. Just speaking the truth in love. That's not what Paul means. What Paul means here when he says speak the truth in love is he means speak the words that are loving, that are gospel words, God's truth, the words that come from the God who is love, truths about who he is and what he's done for us in Jesus Christ that bring hope and faith because of the gospel, that strengthen us, that encourage us, that comfort us. And as we speak the truth in love to one another, the result is verse 16. There's growth, there's maturity, there's Christ-likeness and bearing fruit. So we need to find people, find some like-minded people that you can read the Bible together with. And what I mean by that is, if you're reading it on your own, you could just text someone. I was reading this this morning, so encouraged. And then you don't have to get together to do it. We don't have to have another meeting to do it. Read the Bible And speak it out to someone. First of all, to your spouse or your children or to your parents or to your friend or to your housemate or to whoever it might be that is close to you. Or get out your phone and text them. But speak it out. Share it with you, with someone. Share what you're reading. Share how it's encouraged you. Share what you learned about Jesus. Read read Hebrews for RBT and then come on a Tuesday night or a Thursday night and talk about it. So that we might speak it out to one another. So that we might speak the truth in love. And we might bear fruit. But then verse 7 also gives us another way in which we speak it out. And that's that we speak it out to God as well. The implication of verse 7, he says this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. For by this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. 
as Jesus' word abides in us and as he abides in us, one of the implications, one of the outworkings of that is that we pray. Jesus says here, we'll begin to ask. We'll ask for whatever we wish. Now that's not just, oh Lord, give me a trolley load of money and a beach home in Southern California. No, no, no. What Jesus means by that is as we are filled and as we are saturated by the words of Scripture, it brings us closer and closer to God so that we pray and we speak in tune with His will and His ways and what He wants and His purposes. And as we do that, we receive answers to those prayers because they're in line with let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so as the words of Jesus abide in us, we will begin to pray with more power and effectiveness, and there will be more fruit both in our own lives and in the life of our church and in the life of the people that we're reaching out to. And as verse 8 says, God will be glorified. Isn't that what we want? So read it, feed it, feed on it, sing it, and speak it. And as we do those things, God's word will abide in us, and we will enjoy all the richness of his wondrous love and all that he has done for us in Jesus, and we will be true disciples, and God will be glorified. Let's pray.